0: Hello, welcome to the Real Work Podcast with me, Fleur Emery. Unedited conversations with women who are changing up the world of work. Extraordinary women who are founders, thought leaders or trailblazers. Here to inspire and inform your idea of what's possible for you. This week's podcast is sponsored by Techniclarity. Techniclarity teaches female founders the tech know-how they need to lead their startups and was started to help you press the go faster button on your app or web platform idea. So
1: I know the founder of Technicality, Sophie. What? There's a cat. (gasps) There's a cat killing a squirrel. No! Shoot it, shoot it. No! Put it down, no, (gasps) he's got it in his mouth. Oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Oh my God, he's just running across the garden with a squirrel in his mouth. Oh, I hate cats. I've just, I've literally just witnessed a murder of a
0: squirrel. Of a squirrel, yeah. But
1: still, still, yeah, still serious, still serious. But a murder all the same. Still, it's a, a sentient being. I can't believe that. What a horrible cat. Sorry, where were we?
0: We were talking about um, technicality's ability to elevate tech knowledge in female founders, and then we just went on to squirrel death. <laughs>
1: How do you come back from that? This week's episode is
0: sponsored by Techniclarity. Do you have a business that involves using tech? Maybe you'd like to start one. You'd like to develop an app or website of your own, but you don't really know how. Techniclarity teaches you the tech know-how that you need to lead out on a project like this. And it was founded to help you press the go faster button on your app or web platform idea. It will give you the knowledge, language, and confidence to head up the project no matter how big or small it is. The most common reason women give for not starting their business is that they don't believe that they have the right skills. Working with technicality one-on-one or joining their online course, Project Launchpad, solves this problem. I've done the course, by the way, and it's really good. (laughs) It's really good. Find a link to the Techniclarity website and Instagram page in the show notes and hear what founder Sophie has to say. Okay, so in today's episode, we have a very lively conversation with Pip Jameson, founder of The Dots. If you don't know The Dots, it's a kind of alternative to the mustachioed world of linkedin it's a um it's a professional networking site which focuses on um the creative industry Where it started it started came out grew out of the creative industries it now sort of reaches you know there's a lot of there's a lot of users and it reaches across all industries it's a way of finding work talking about the work that you're doing and um in today's episode we talk about how it's different to things like LinkedIn. How it's a um, it's a response to some of the kind of um, elitist patriarchal problems that you know people encounter. In, is this am I you asleep? Are you awake? Are you wake You with me? It's just good stuff. It's good stuff. We're with okay, you. great. Yeah, it's it's keep <laughs> going, babes. Is <laughs> um the dots was founded as a response to some of the um barriers to sort of connecting and getting work. It's it's more of a meritocracy than the oh God, I'm losing the world to live. You
1: wrap it up now probably. <laughs> <laughs> the usual
0: story, the usual, the usual stuff that Pip talks about. The reason people find her interesting is she's a female tech founder. She started this uh, a business, then she had a parting of the ways with her co-founder. She had a legal case, and instead of just going and lying in a darkened room and becoming a you know guinea pig farmer or something, she just overstretched herself and started again from scratch and spun it up on her own and it's very successful it's doing very well she wins loads of awards she gets loads of gongs she's um, swears we will try and beat them all out but um, yeah there's some big ones and we have loads of technical problems even though she's a tech founder and we you know should have worked it out by now and yeah she's a right laugh she talks about um, yeah, she doesn't cover, it's not like um, her CV. It's not So it's not an interview you've heard before from Pip, that's all I'll say. <laughs> we go into the long grass early on, don't we? We go off, we go yeah. on an adventure. And um, also she talks a lot about um, um, neurodiversity. Um, she, Pip's dyslexic and she talks about what that means and what's that, what that's been like and how that has informed the way she has grown the business. So there's a, there's a good diversity convo dropped in, which is um, very much our bag, as you know, in real work. That is a very live conversation that we are all um, getting involved in, and we're slipping on banana skins and learning and listening. So it was really interesting to hear Pip's experience and um, talk about how, I'm gonna stop. Here's Pip Jameson, founder of The
1: Dots. Snappy snappy. <laughs> After three, everyone ready? One, two, three. Civil Civil servants! servants. (laughs) Let's do an interview now.
0: Crikey. How's your undercarriage buckers? Is it contracted fully? Pulsating. Just crack crack a walnut. Not in a nice way. (laughs) So tense. Everyone says, um, "Oh, with it's been you know lockdown's been so great for like recording podcasts because everyone does it virtually now." Yes and no. (laughs) It's kind of there's some good things, but some not so good. You know what? I agree. I love being in person. It's way easier. Saying that, I
2: went to my first in person meeting this morning and I didn't know what to do. At it the docks. Really weird. No, a, a company around the corner and I didn't know what the etiquette was in the meeting room. Do you take your mask yeah. off? You what is it? it what on? was it? It's apparently like while you're walking around, keep it on. And then when you get into a meeting room, take it off. So, but it was just really confusing. My brain fried. I was like, I'm not used to seeing humans. <laughs> I'm doing human things.
0: There's an emoji for that. I hope so. Last week, our guest on the podcast was um, yachtswoman Sam Davies, and she lives in France because in France there's a big yachting culture and she's a bit of a um, celebrity. And she was saying in France, she's quite a reserved British person. And she's saying in France, everyone, even in business meetings, even strangers, you go into the bank, everyone kisses you like two or three times, and that's just it. And you have to like, when you arrive and when you leave. <laughs> what now? during covid well, well it's, she said it's been off during covid but it's coming back that's uh, relaxing uh, so we well I, you the know, relaxing I, the rules. You know, i'm
2: a hugger so hilariously i am you really a hugger I've, i i have been a health and safety issue i should not ever be allowed out because i can't help myself as soon as i see someone i just want to hug them so this has been the problem i've now got this weird like almost rugby tackle hug i do where i go down low and but then it looks like i'm doing something (laughs) weird (laughs) so i don't know um anyway sorry we're not even in doing the interview we i'll shut up i'd like one of those i'd like one
0: of those hugs (laughs) so um how are your how did your team adapt do you How did the dots? That
2: absolutely amazing. I mean, yeah, I'm the, not surprised. The yeah. really interesting bit is we got proper early warning signals. I think because most of my team are engineers, they understand R and the R rate and the, and so they were all saying this is coming. And then we move remote in an evening and picked up ah. the next morning. And then I learned that my engineers don't really want to see people again, and they hated the co-working space, and they'd rather be at home. So most of my team are like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. I mean, there's obviously lots of other things that aren't great, but from a team perspective, actually, they've been really good. And we've gone remote first now. So um, my team's moved all over the world. I've had two go to Sydney, one go to Spain, one's in Portugal, Netherlands.
0: This is Well, this is a whole interview because... That's like a whole subject. We were scrabbling around, destroying our equipment, ready to come on. So we're all a bit unprepared. And thank you for just serving us up an entire episode concept. <laughs> Marvelous, isn't it? Bobby? Yeah,
1: that's great. You saved so the day. We'll bit. come again. You saved the day.
0: <laughs>
1: so the podcast um... is saved. For anyone who doesn't know what
0: the dots is, we describe it as an um an onlineing uh, online um well, it's just where creatives can meet each other and employ each other.
2: Sort of. I mean, basically, we've expanded massively outside of the creative industries now. So it's more a professional networking solution that's more built for a modern workforce. And so, yeah, I mean, Apple said we were networking for the modern world and Forbes said we were the next LinkedIn. And I think it's been been super interesting over the last year, because in many ways, we were sort of built for the future of work, but the future sort of arrived... A lot faster than we expected due to COVID. So yeah, it's um, it's been a, it's been a heartbreaking year because so many of our community have really struggled. Um, but it's also just been a privilege to be able to give back and help them navigate that new norm. So. Yeah, but a lot of our community are young as well, and they're really struggling right now. But again, it's a privilege to be able to help them, you know, help them find upskilling opportunities, helping them connect with each other for advice, um, but also connecting them to jobs as well.
0: So the the, the issues facing your younger team members, um, m- like mental health through lack of human contact, um lack of stability, financial stability, housing stability, that kind of thing,
2: do you mean? Yeah, I mean, one, lots of them lost work, so either being furloughed or made redundant. Obviously, you've also got these waves of people either leaving school or leaving university. And what we're finding on the dots, and we look after so many industries from like, you know, tech, film, fashion, publishing, is that people just aren't really hiring juniors at the moment. Because they just haven't worked out how to onboard juniors, you know, um, in many ways, you know, a, when you think back to your kind of junior career, that a lot of the learning was in an office environment, learning from the mid levels or seniors and yes, copying and yeah. yeah. professional and you're not getting that. And so we've just found that actually, while the job market has really rebounded of late, there's still definitely a I guess risk aversity to hiring lots of juniors because people just haven't worked out how do we do that effectively when you're not around them um, so yeah that's why they're sort of struggling it's they're struggling to find work but also just you know across the board our community has you know been struggling with everything from mental health issues to how do we effectively work remotely and all of, all of those challenges everyone's having
0: I am, um, we just tried to pull the blind down quietly while you're saying that. <laughs> I, I was listening. <laughs> Should I just finish it? I was
1: blinded. Sorry, I was so unprepared for this. You're proper Mrs. Clunky Pants today. The microphone stand has cracked. Look, the, the microphone's in a jam jar. Isn't that the second time that's happened?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the second time. Should we name check the mic that snaps? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, <laughs> right as um pro- interviews are have supposed to have a form aren't they it's supposed to have like a beginning and a middle and end? The reason why we opened our sound check with the word civil servant because is that how so you started your career randomly enough yeah, really, really random it's just yeah. I mean completely can you imagine that buckers? civil um, service pip I mean
1: do you know what I, you who know said when, that was a good fit, you know when people are on game shows and they and yeah. the host says. Uh, where do you come from and what do you do? And they're like, I'm Brian and I'm a civil servant. I, I To this day, I do not know what a civil servant is. Do you know what the civil service is? Do you know what the civil service is? With the government? It, yeah. yeah. So you have,
0: well, okay, you've got those three strands of... um, oh, Basically, there's the, the monarchy, there's the... Um, what, kings and judiciary, queens? Yeah, the judiciary, the judges... Than the people who keep the laws and then the people who make the laws parliament and the civil service are part of it, they support the government. So they're all the right. that, or, and all the you know, those people who make make all the decisions um that behind the PM. Don't put this in the podcast, incredibly boring. Probably level, we'll probably get letters in. We we'll get emails in saying, <laughs> I I love the podcast up until episode 14. <laughs> what has Flaubert talking about? I am um, should I tell you what happened there though was you said what's the civil service and I thought I know what that is <laughs> I I got a C in my I got a C in A level politics in the late 80s
1: and and um, that was a
0: question and I thought oh
1: actually I think that's been a, that
0: file's been overwritten somewhere in my brain I think um I went to that file and it was um just empty. There's a there's nothing in there. So we might have to um Google that and put it in the show notes. Should we ask Pip what it is? <laughs> <laughs> you're employed
2: you're employed by it. You work for the government, but you're not a politician. So you work for society and like you don't work in political interests per se. You you work for the government full time. So you don't go in and out. If like the Conservatives win or Labour wins, you stay in there. You can yes. still have obviously political <laughs> so it's party
0: neutral, but you yeah. can't express
2: them. It's party neutral. You're you're part. You, you can't. You actually do work for the party. That is in power at the time. But if that party changed, you have to do as good a job for that next party. So I started my career, I was a fast stream economist, and I started my career in the Home Office working in at, the UK
0: because you went to university in Edinburgh.
2: Yeah, I went to uni in Edinburgh and then, yeah, started. Well, <laughs> the reason I wanted to join government is I always wanted to have a positive impact on the world. And like I did economics and maths at uni, and it's back in the days when sort of. Going into the tech industry wasn't even really talked about as a career. So, my other option was like finance, which I'd rather slit my throat to do. So, um, I literally joined the government. And I, yeah, I, I mean, it was an amazing experience because I was working in the Home Office when David Blunkett, who's this amazing blind politician yeah. running the Home Office, um, and he was an absolute incredible man to work for, partly because he literally was. Just brilliant because of his blindness, not despite of it. So he just had no bias in his decision making process. So, all that bias we have when we look at people and things, he didn't have it. But government was not for me, it was so slow moving and I, I joined the government at a time where it's meant to be like policy was meant to be based on evidence and that's why I was really excited and it wasn't really like that. The policymakers, politicians would come up with ideas and we were kind of asked to tweak assumptions around it. But
0: so he was a Labour Home Secretary.
2: L- Labour Home Secretary, yeah.
0: Under that and is that the um Tony Blair government? That's
2: the Blair years, yeah. So that was um never but
0: I... forget what... oh, there wasn't <laughs> was, was, things are gonna get better. There and only get better You don't do- probably remember that, Buckers you Tony do- Blair I remember Tony yeah.
1: Blair being in power when I was in primary school Yeah. Oh, well, that's really yeah.
0: Pressing Buckers <laughs> When Buckers was in the sandpit she was just uh, when I was doing my Cindy <laughs> horse Jim Gymkhana <laughs> Tony Blair was in the government. I'd graduated. I was like, yeah, twenty twenty-two, And I remember when that happened. I was in it. When that was announced, I was in a, a gay bar in a basement in Soho and we'd been up all night and everyone went bananas. It was a really exciting time. Oh, wow. It was, it was a real feeling of like the end of Thatcherism and that, that you know, we'd been on the Thatcher treadmill, the, the welfare state had been, sort of dismounted in front of our eyes and it was like a big there was a feeling amongst young people that that was a big change that would have been an amazing time to be yeah. in that job no
2: I mean it was amazing and like the you know it, the whole third way thing I loved and it was just um so the third way was just like there is a third way you're kind of moving away from <laughs> let's be really right wing or really left wing how about yeah. we all come together and try and make society work which is yeah. like amazing so yeah there was this beautiful it was a beautiful time to be there but the nuts and bolts of the civil service are pretty or i mean you know i mean they've moved mountains of late but at the same time like it was just very slow moving very bureaucratic um and it just wasn't for me i mean i got what i got i learned you know some really interesting i was working on drug um, legislation, which was quite interesting. So there was a time when I had a database of every known drug dealer in in the whole of UK. I had to go through so many security levels to get it. Um, I had them on speed so... dial. <laughs> well, did you have a burner phone? I Did have a couple of friends go as my mate on the list, and obviously I could never divulge that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that was interesting, and you know, worked on prostitution legislation, and there were there were interesting bits um but i i'm just way too impatient and want you know i want to kind of move fast and that just it, government wasn't for me
0: <laughs> um you got a first at university yes
2: you have done your research you said you weren't prepared for
0: <laughs> i only i only actually drop in that fact because it's about one of the four things that i did manage to scrawl on the back of a, a napkin on my desk and i thought <laughs> i'm trying to. Um, claw back some credibility as an interviewer <laughs> by doing
2: that. <laughs> yeah, I <did. laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a miracle because you, you know, Fleur, I'm I'm dyslexic. So I I I mean I couldn't read slides. So did you know young. that then?
0: When did you know that about yourself? Oh,
2: I was really I was very lucky. I was very young. So I was about 8 when I was diagnosed. So what what kind of happened is oh, there's this moment for anyone who's listening who's dyslexic or as a child who's dyslexic they'll know this moment but i was doing really well in school and then something just wasn't clicking and my teachers basically told my mum that i was or my parents that i was stupid and my mum was not having any of it and actually by
0: totally start with them (laughs) yeah she (laughs) started on them Mate, yeah, much,
2: actually. She was that. Uh, oh, I love you. She was amazing. Um, <laughs> but she was working for a charity at the time called um, the Kids on the Block, which was a disability cha- charity, not to be compl- confused with the terrible 80s brand of Kids on the Block. But um, <laughs> she was working for a charity educating um, primary school kids on disability. So she used to do these puppet shows um, and it was educating kids about cerebral palsy. So that cerebral palsy... Anyone with cerebral palsy is a physical challenge, but they're actually just like you. And um, it was while she was working for this charity, she heard about this lecture on this thing called dyslexia. She went to this lecture and, she, I mean, this is the 80s, right? Dyslexia wasn't a thing. Wow, was, you hit the jackpot. Oh she was God. clued up. Yeah, she. I mean, it was fluke can clued up and just... So I was really, really, really lucky because I got help very early on. Um, and yeah, it was, I mean, I always reflect that for every one of me, you know, there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people we left behind. Cause I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't, I mean, I, you know, I couldn't read till I was 11. I had to learn ha- how to learn in a completely different way than, you know, your average person learns. And so, yeah, I was, I will, my mum was amazing. So I'm very grateful to her.
0: <laughs> Is she dyslexic?
2: No, but my brother is. So it definitely is genetic. It's more likely to be genetic if you're neurodiverse. Not always the case, um, but we think my grandmother was because she really struggled reading, um, but obviously never been diagnosed. So it skipped mum and seemed to go to me and my brother instead.
0: And um, did it, if you get a diagnosis age eight, is that um, early enough for you to not, um, for those messages of people saying that, you're not as clever as other people. Does that did that land? Like did you have to like reboot after that or had you, you know, do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I mean guys I still remember those early days before my diagnosis of just feeling just just stupid and inadequate I really remember those days oh, uh, but they were really good at drumming into you Like right? they are brilliant people that are dyslexic and they bring out the Einsteins and they bring out the you know Richard Branson and you know there's so many more role models now so I I did because it was still in those formative years I was very, very lucky. And I also went to um, I had like specialist dyslexic training or or schooling. I used to have to like get up at six in the morning and have classes before school and um, classes in between school. So, yeah, I didn't have what a lot of obviously dyslexics have as much because of that.
0: So when you say you have extra help, it's not just the same help that everyone else has, but more. You have a different approach to learning. Like how how do you learn that's different to how um, other people might learn?
2: Yeah, so what people don't realize about dyslexics is we actually hear and see slightly differently. And so that's why we mix up words there and there and things like that. And so actually the way I've had to learn how to write is I've had to memorize words. And so I have to do pattern recognition. I have to memorize words, but it also has massive gifts. So that's, um, I wouldn't, you know, if someone said to me, you if you gave me a magic wand and took away my dyslexia, I wouldn't do that for the world. You know? I mean, you know we' we're thirty five percent of entrepreneurs are dyslexic and forty percent of self-made millionaires. so and only ten percent of the population is dyslexic. So we're more likely to become entrepreneurs, and when we are entrepreneurs, we're more successful. And so yeah, don't take that away from me. <laughs> Starting a business is hard enough. I need a little extra.
0: <laughs> also, language, language is um, something that's in a constant cha- a constant state of flux, and it reflects. Um, or society, and that should be all of society. And so get changing words or having your own version and understanding, that's not that far away from being an artist.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's why dyslexia and the creative industries correlate massively, right? So, you know, a lot... The, the reality is, is what's super interesting, there's a piece of Harvard research that the reason um, dyslexics are also so creative is that we actually have wider peripheral vision. So we're taking in more data like a rabbit in the world all the time.
0: <laughs> do rabbits have wider Yeah, they do, vision? because they're prey items. Okay. Uh, they'll go oh, all I the way... That. Yeah. <laughs> And then the fox doesn't. I'll be the fox and you be the rabbit. (laughs) I just see at the front. I just see my lunch at the front. And you are the lunch, so you see all around.
2: I love it. You've just said rabbit and my dog's just... Oh, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting bit. So... Basically, I mean, if you think of robot, um, humans are like the most sophisticated robots that exist. We're taking in loads of information all the time and we're synthesizing that to intuition and creative thought. As dyslexics, we're really lucky because we take in more information and more data all the time. And that's why we index on entrepreneurship. And that's why we index on creativity. And that's why so many artists are creative. I mean, dyslexic. That's my dyslexia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's good to have the confidence and courage to own it, like those change the language. My five year old is um an artist, and she changes words in ways that seem accidental, like you. But you can you, but they're better. So instead of um camouflage, she says cleverfage. And there was another one um for um a um a scorpion she saw a scorpion i said what's that and she calls it a sting lobster oh i mean see it, it is it's, it's way festive, more logical isn't it? yeah and that's the problem is the
2: english language is actually not logical <laughs> and so like as dyslexics we just just you know what is more logical and so yeah no i agree and my dog has just gone crazy one oh, sec one set. there's
0: someone else get him on give him a cow's femur
1: I um I called a I couldn't think of the word for pram the other day and I called it a baby trolley.
0: That's great, perfect.
1: <laughs> That's way more logical. <laughs> it's interesting the parallel you drew with um
0: with robots, Pip, and um, because robots from my childhood, are, you know, been replaced with you know you know my, there's microscopic robots now. There's that means something completely different now. And um, have you read the um the new Casio Segura book, Clara and the Sun? No. Yeah, do you know about it? No. Okay, so okay. Um, do, you, do you know who this author book is? I don't read, I watch films. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> it's, she's a millennial.
1: That's why films are and- <laughs> <were>
0: invented. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll make a film of it, especially so that you can catch Thank up. Thank you, yeah. We'll catch you up. up. Yeah. It's about, um, it's a, a dystopian um, department store that sells artificial friends. And so they're they're people, they look like people, they feel like people, they behave like people, but they're robots and you buy one for your kid to be friends with your kid. And it's from the point of view of um, Clara, one of these um, artificial friends. And it's just about um, when, it's it's about experiencing otherness. It's about, so in fact, exactly what you were talking about, this experience of being um, a neurodiverse kid and trying to work out what quite was that thing that you're not quite the same. It's kind of basically about that. I wonder if he's dyslexic.
2: Maybe. I mean, it's so interesting because it is. It's coping mechanisms. You have to learn to be like atypical human right it's just it's a weird journey to go on and like you know there's I, I was very blessed that I managed to learn how to navigate but it took me you know my entire school so back to your original question which was getting a first I mean that was the most bonkers thing ever but by the time I'd left school I just managed to grasp how humanity worked and then I went into uni and really I mean I did economics and math so it's a bit you know more um, suited to my brain and uh, yeah my, my, my parents turned up to my graduation and bawled their eyes out but the funniest thing is I actually emailed my dad when I got my first and I said I told you I was a genius but I misspelled <laughs> genius and I spelled it yes
0: <laughs> perfect
2: so he's still got the email on his on the, on the, it's framed on our bathroom wall we're going back to my I point did. in that
0: in that in that moment for me that's art like, it says that that type, that's your subconscious mind, like, making a j- joke of the system. Look, I told you I could fit in with you, but I'm still myself. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> Learning to, what's really interesting about what's happening now in terms of um, how we think about... Um, um, neurologically diverse people conversations that are coming up and the democratization of communication and how we um, can hear diverse voices through social media instead of just what the telly shows us is that the idea of you lot the minority having to fit in with the majority is changing isn't it it's like um, saying why why should you know you there's a big movement sort of saying, kids like that need to learn their own way and not have to fit in and that you should be allowed to be yourself. And we don't just want to iron out the differences.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like actually, you know, whenever I think about diversity, I think about like building teams that reflect society and it's completely intersectional. Right. So my experience as a sole female tech founder who's dyslexic is completely different from a founder who is black, for example. So like it's the intersectionality that is really interesting as well. And with everyone's experiences and life learnings and background and neurodiversity and we're all different like but what's wonderful about that with that difference comes strength and then where the power really comes together is bringing together different people um and actually there's really sorry i I love research but there's a lovely piece of research that was done where they set challenges um for university students and one group was fully homogenous so they're all the Same. same And the other group was reflected society. Now, what was so fascinating about it is the homogenous, when they marked them afterwards, they basically first asked them, how do you think you performed? Now the homogenous group thought they did this an amazing job, right? We just nailed it because they were all getting on. They were all similar. They all came up with the same ideas. The fully diverse group actually thought they'd perform really badly because they were kind of debating things, they were sort of arguing about things. But obviously, when you then looked at the solutions they came up with, the diverse team came up with much better solutions than the fully homogenous team. So it's, you know, it's those differences that we need to challenge each other in a constructive positive way, and we need to come up with different ideas. Otherwise, we're just building things for ourselves, right? It's just, it's just that's crazy. So, yeah, that so was a very long-winded answer.
0: <laughs> like, um, or men are building things for women. Well, yeah. Or, or able-bodied people are building things for disabled things. Like, wasn't, um, Buckers, was it you on your um, social media that posted about um, some men who invented a glove for tampon removal? No. Was no. it not you? Yeah, so no. some guys in femtechs, so a male company with male founders, had solved the solution of having to touch the tampon string when you remove a tampon, and they can sold you special disposable oh, gloves. Yeah. It was that, was it? was it you. Yeah, I, I
1: didn't. Well, I, I shared it. Yeah I, didn't, yeah. I didn't write the post, but I shared it, yeah, because it was just ridiculous it's
0: such an extreme they've oh you've solved a problem i don't have
1: Thanks, yeah. man. <laughs> sorry we're already over it <laughs> but, and, and
2: then that, yeah i mean that is the perfect example but i mean most products and services should be built for everyone right and yes. that's why having everyone at the table is really important i think it's really important to kind of make sure that we are solving problems for society more broadly, and that that involves mostly everyone. Femtech, it really should be women that are developing <laughs> those products.
0: In, um, it's interesting as well in terms of the wider reaches of science. Like over the last year, we've um, um, there's been people talking about how some of our human rights have been rolled back really quickly in order to um, put through legislation to control the pandemic. And with and so, for example, with them. Um, um, vaccination schedules brought forward so we can get vaccinated sooner. There's also there's also kind of interesting boundaries around this subject with regard to um, human fertility, isn't there? Because um, although um, dyslexia is a, a learning difficulty, not a learning disability, when you get into genetic learning disabilities, so for example, Down syndrome, um, people can choose not to continue with pregnancies after a fetus has been has been identified as having down syndrome and it's so so interesting those kind of you know think of a world with without you know people who are how how different how much difference can we tolerate is the interesting question that it kind of poses and i feel like it's um a barometer of how healthy our society is is how much different which we, we can tolerate not just like nationally as, as a nation but as a company it's something we're really looking at with real work at the moment and you know instead of just saying oh yeah black people are welcome or oh yeah you know um transgender women are welcome it's like saying what does that really mean and how do we really support um diversity. How do we really make that happen from the from the top to down? Because it's the, the more diverse, as you say, the healthier the community.
2: Yeah. And it's so interesting what you say, because obviously times do change as well. Cause actually giving sperm as a sperm donor, you weren't allowed to if you were dyslexic for many, many years. That has changed. Wow. Um, so basically that was completely screened out. So actually what I love about Richard Branson, he did um then set up an all dyslexic sperm bank that people could go to. I mean it was a total gimmick, Is but he... it proved the point. So if you want a genius child Is he dyslexic? My all dyslex- he's dyslexic, yeah. So head to my all dyslexic sperm bank. Is all um, the sperm his? Uh, so, I mean, w- what gives me comfort about that is... <laughs> oh, I did that. Sorry, I missed that, but that would be gold.
0: Liquid gold. The generation it's of t- small yeah, children... Can walking around. Around, I think you could only give three spurts these days. Anyway. Um, but- well, little children walking around with big smiles and beards and helicopters... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was a PR
2: stuff but it was brilliant, you know is it because it's, I mean like how ridiculous is that and so yeah what gives me comfort though about that that has changed and so it there is sometimes yeah. when we're in it and you know this flow when we're in the belly of the beast it feels like nothing's changing and obviously we, we tend to go two steps forward one step back two step forward but things do change but I think you're right I mean the main thing is inclusion right it's um we've got to make sure that we're building environments that are inclusive of everyone so that we can because in the end diversity is better for business it's better for profitability it's better for creativity i mean it's just all of those stats are just proven now beyond doubt
0: what's really interesting about your love of data is um i I went i was in a um i was listening to a panel recently talking about diversity in the lgbtq plus space and um, particularly advertising they were talking about how you can get advertisers to um, produce content that's more representative and it was really interesting because that um, that kind of conversation people who work in that area it attracts you know people who really care and have personal history of that which is quite natural but the person who cut through that whole conversation was um, um, a friend of mine who's She's just quite sharp and, and she just said, you know, just tell them about the money, just tell the advertisers, you know, tell the advertisers and the brands that they're going to make more money if they're diverse. Just show them this, show them this and produce a load of data. And, even, and it was quite difficult for people to kind of accept that because sometimes I think we want people to, we want people to to be better, but we want them to be better and mean it. Mm. But some industries it doesn't matter. It's just like be better. Like and, and and giving them data to support the fact that customers want this, you will make more money, or your campaign will be more effective. I'm, I was. I was. It was great to hear that. Actually, it yeah. was quite. It was quite strong just to negotiate on their terms. I mean, the
2: reality is, is businesses are in business to make profit. I mean, it's it's their that's their kind of goal. Um, so you know, you've got to talk in their languages if you want it to change. And you know, I, I'm a massive optimist, but the ones that aren't yeah. embracing, you know, teams that reflect society, they're the ones that are going to be left behind because. The, the, any competitor that is starting to embrace the new world is just going to come up with better ideas, better solutions and better business. So like, yeah, I mean, again, I am an optimist.
0: <laughs> you are. <laughs> so I'm um, So I'm kind of on the same journey with real work, this um, online co-working space. I, I became a tech founder since I last spoke to you. Did you know that? No. I started, um, yeah, since I last spoke to you, I left the world of food startups and I started an online co-working space for women. And it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a way of women who are looking to work and earn on their own terms, freelancers and founders, that they can connect and get inspiration and the information that they need to um, to meet their business goals. So I've been doing that, and we are looking at the same kind of um, diversity issues that you, you've been tackling in the dots. But um, what's kind of interesting about that is – I end up in a lot of conversations like this, you know, you had a lovely education and um, creative, connected family, you know, I I had all those same privileges. And like the goal is to change the system so that it's not us, (laughs) it's not, I'll give you an example, Pip. There's a media, news media output that I really like called Tortoise Media. I've been listening to them a lot recently. It's really nice, like slow news, um, digested and sort of presented in a way that I, is really agreeable with me. I really like it. So I've been getting all my news from Tortoise. And um, this morning on our team meeting at Real Work, I said, it'll be great to collaborate with um, Tortoise Media. And guess what? I emailed them. And they emailed straight back because, wow, it was founded by a girl I went to school with. Ah. And I and I said, "Oh, great! Isn't that amazing?" And then my second thought was, "I criticised Boris Johnson and all that lot." And it's like so much of so much of what I've created has been, you know, there's been a lot of that, yeah. you know? And it, I just see it with different eyes now. Pip is what I'm saying. You know, the things about saying, "Oh, you know, oh, lucky me." You know, yeah. I went, I you know, I went to university with them, and they, you know, they opened the door. Yeah, but it's like it, it's 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 different, isn't it? It's changing, that has to change because I, yeah, yeah, too much like Boris Johnson
2: for my own liking. Well, it's so interesting you, you say this because I mean, one of the f- things that we've never done on so when I first started the dots companies, particularly tech companies, if I'm honest, would say to me, like, how many Oxford grads have you got on the dots? And I'd be like, oh my they... god, one, I have no idea, and two, like, that is totally opposite to what i've tried to create so we remove all educational information so you can't search for people by educational background but that doesn't remove what you're talking about which is the kind of network and so interestingly um we also did a program with google which was called fast track 50 which was fast tracking 15 Uh, 50, 18 to 25 year olds who'd never been to university or first gen university. And actually the main value they got out of it was what we called a connector program. And it was just contacts. So we, we matched them with five people to support them. Like you would be supported or I would be supported because we have connections in the industry. And it's so interesting how that can change the diameter. I mean, it's way more complex, right? There's so much, as you know, complexity around everything. Yeah. But you know, that was super interesting project for us to do because, yeah, and I, I think that's why you know we've always, you know, what? I, sorry, I was about to swear. What I f- hate about LinkedIn, it's all about building. <laughs> connections with your existing connections they tell you only connect with people mm. you know only connect with you people you know yeah they do but what if you're rising through like what if you, what if know you don't know anyone? anyone like you know what? yeah like, we're the opposite we're like the whole platform is built to connect with people that are outside of your existing network because yeah. otherwise that's the barrier right if you don't have the connections how the <laughs> f*** can <you> anywhere <laughs> um what i might do is i might just quickly email the person i've got a meeting with just to say i might be a few more minutes late one sec lovely
0: great is it bono <laughs> <laughs> bill clinton watching. bono just start the jam before I, i'll be there i'll be over i'm just polishing my saxophone
2: <laughs> <laughs> One second. because the, the other thing
0: about unfair um unfair assets that we are given um but don't necessarily deserve, like an expensive education like I had, which I almost squandered, to be honest. Um, But it appreciates in value. So, for example, when I went to UCL, I got into, by the skin of my teeth, with a C in Spanish and dis-Spanish. And um, it just, over the weekend, it was in the um, global best universities, came out number six under like Harvard, Stanford, Imperial, Oxford, Cambridge, UCL. And so my value on LinkedIn, in terms of all the people I'm connected with who went to UCL, I look better. This is like 25 years ago, I was there. I look better because of that. And it was still nothing to do with me. It's still like, and so taking that out, taking that, that, so that it's like I'm having a pension, like having that, that those kind of things that you're given when you're young. It's like having a pension, you know, it grows despite you, you know, whether I could have been just like, I mean, I was, you know, a bit of a waste of space for quite a while after university, and I could have done really nothing much since, but I still have that asset, which is, which is growing, even if I'm not investing in it. And there's just complex unfairness is really only just starting to dawn on me I have to say
2: yeah and if I hadn't had the privilege of my dad being able to afford for me to have dyslexic education I wouldn't I wouldn't be anywhere and like the that always I mean what's so interesting about that is my dad actually never went to uni and he wanted to work in the music industry and so to keep, he found a music industry graduate recruitment, um, graduate trainee program, and to go for it, he lied on his application and said he had an English BA. The reason he said that is that he was educated in Buenos Aires, so he wasn't quite lying and he could speak English. So it was like English <laughs> BA. And he, this is back in the days when they don't check, right? So they didn't check. And he got on the EMI graduate trainee scheme. And then fast forward... Twenty odd years, and he's running EMI, and so this is a f- so proof point. It doesn't matter where you come. I mean, he's amazing. Never went to uni, but if he hadn't lied to get on that application, he would have never had the career he had, and he would never have been able to give me the help I needed. And you're just like we're just squandering so much incredible talent because we're putting up these barriers when there's just brilliant people, and we just, i And with it, going back to the. You know the macro view. We're squandering wealth for the country as a, and we're, we're everything is just, yeah, it's just not, uh, it's just stupid, really.
0: Sorry. So your dad lied on his application, and I like the fact that you're um confident enough to reveal that his um deepest life secret, knowing that we haven't got many listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have said that if you're on Women's Hour with six million? I don't think he would have. No,
2: there's an interview with my dad. My dad's really open about it. Because why wouldn't he be? Like, he's, he's very open that this is just, it's <laughs> There's actually, there's a video with him online. But it's like, literally like, yeah. I mean, you know, he proved himself, but he had to lie to prove himself. How looks <laughs> is that? So,
0: Well, you're wow. changing it. It's funny that you went to the civil service to do something and you ended up doing it on your own somewhere completely else. Yeah, you ended I mean, up like finding your way to be effective like in you know completely different place.
2: Yeah, I mean for me I've sort of always been driven you know how people have these really like strategic views of their career and where they're going. I was always I kind of was always driven by my heart and what felt right, and weirdly it all worked out okay in the end. Um, so I, I think what I was driven by is also I never wanted to have a career that didn't have a purpose. I just, especially running a business, right? If the, you know how hard it is for like it's such a grueling experience, starting, scaling, massive roller coaster ride of brilliant highs and absolute nightmares, and so. To be honest if i didn't have a purpose behind the dots i would have given up years ago right because it's 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 hard and um but yeah and
0: you you fought for it like a um a child being taken off you well because it was the loop first yeah so tell, I, tell us quickly about that yeah so i started
2: a baby sister version of the dots in australia called the loop with a co-founder and we very long story short wanted to take the business in a different direction if anyone is listening who's had a co-founder fall out you know where I've been.
0: Let's it's just get back to that euphemism. We we wanted to take the business in difficult directions. That's in different directions. That's like when Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow split up. That's like... <laughs> the conscious uncoupling. Yeah. You know that they oh. were just like... <laughs> you know that they were like melting each other's vinyl and, you know, going into <laughs> each other's voicemails and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, yes, we just decided that our souls weren't... You know, the, oh my god! Yeah, I mean, it it was
2: a divorce. It was the closest I've ever been to a divorce. I was so oh happy. Gosh. I've got like a really happy marriage of my real personal life, but like, um, yeah, it was really it was really horrific. But anyway, but yeah, I mean, I sold my business over there. Everything I made with the, from the business um, in Australia, I reinvested. Started up again. So I went from like startup to scale up, back to startup, back to scale up again, and I fought so hard. But I mean, in the end, for me if I don't make this, like, if I don't scale this, who else is, you know, we're just gonna be, I'm, I'm one of these people that if I see a problem in the world, I, I hate people who moan about problems, I wanna fix it. And it, my responsibility isn't just to me or my team, it's now responsible to, like, we've got over 750,000 members, like, if I let them down, that's that's what keeps me getting up every single day and helping them, and so, yeah. and But, you know, I actually love it, you know. Not all the time. I'd say twenty five percent of the time I absolutely hate it. Seventy five percent of the time I love it. You know. Like
0: How that. often do you have to fundraise?
2: So my so oh, tech companies. So our last round was four million. So that was a couple of years ago. I mean, we've done well through the pandemic. So, you know, we've been one of the lucky ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fundraising journey, as you know, is horrific. I mean, so only so- nine nine percent of funding angel funding goes to women. Only i think it's 2.6 of vc funding so yeah two percent
0: goes to black and minority ethnic founders i mean it's if you're looking at that recently it's pretty bad
2: god what would be the disabled stats i mean like it's just horrific so you know in, in the end the the times are changing i do find that investors are starting to try and look at least look for more kind of representative founders but you know, the, the problem is is that VCs or investors are mainly men still, right? So the problem with that is they tend to invest in things that they're interested in and understand. So it's harder for a femtech founder to get money. Ta- like it, um, or do tampon we- gloves. Yeah, tampon gloves. They'll invest in tampon yeah. gloves because to them it seems like a really. I good know because mindset. there's this guy
0: from school. He did a presentation on it, and he's like, <laughs> okay, hit the lights, guys, guys. <laughs> Okay, like all women have periods, yeah, and that would have been what the presentation to win that like millions of pounds. They're probably listening now, and I'm probably going to get a dog's muck through the post or something. That
2: business. I'm so sorry. I have to go, but if you do want to keep chatting, I'm no, so it's lovely. We've it. got what we need. I'm so sorry. We
0: um, we've um, got plenty of material to beep out, Pip. Okay, great. Sorry, I kept swearing. <laughs> Do you want to finish with one big swear? Finish with one big swear, go on. Really let oh, it all out. Which
2: one? No.
0: Oh! <gasps> oh! Pippa, thank you. You better go. It's been lovely. Cheerio. Bye. I can't believe you said that. <laughs> That's the end of this week's episode of the Real Work Podcast. If you want more from me before the next episode or you'd like to learn more about real work, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube where I share experience and advice for women who want to work and earn on their own terms. My Instagram handle is at doreal.work and on YouTube it's real work, all capitals, all one word. Please rate and review this podcast if you know how. <laughs> and tell people about it. It all helps. Thank you for being here. See you next time. Great. Another episode in the bag. And this time with sponsorship. We're
1: a proper grown up podcast now. No, we're really rolling. It's such a good feeling that people want We've to. We've got p- another one. To pay. I know. They want to get behind. Yeah. <laughs> Real money. Real money.
0: To be associated with our brand, it's fantastic. And next week we've got another one, and then I've got a maybe for episode three. So I'm chuffed. We're just going to make some more calls and keep asking around. You know, gather the momentum. We're getting there. It's really good.
1: Um, how are things going with yours? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Podcast is doing well. We also have um, managed to secure some sponsorship. I didn't know that. Well, it's just you know, it's just just a kind of new thing. I've been keeping it kind of on the down low. It's you know our our next series, which we're. I we're thought you producing. were really busy. It's quite hard. It's taken me a while. Yeah, it was amazing. I just we just got um, an an email from this company who said they were interested and um, had a chat with them, and yeah, they're going to sponsor uh, four episodes. They just approached you, someone you didn't know. Mm.
0: Oh, that's, that's, that's really good Congratulations
1: Thank you Fleur shall, um, shall I do the jingle now Shall I My jingle Put it on If you want to make a podcast That your audience will adore But the thought of making it yourself Terrifies you to the core then you know who to call producer buckers she knows just what to do producer buckers to make your podcast dreams come true she used to work in radio where she was polypedio a dab at audio find producer buckers on instagram at decibel underscore creative or click the link in the show notes come on everyone producer buckers if you want to hire the best producer buckers just put it to the test, producer Buckus. Just press record, and she does the rest. Producer Buckus.